Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 23. In today's show, we'll be talking with Bruce Talgan, author of a number of business books, including his most recent titled, The 27 Challenges Managers Face, Step-by-Step Solutions to Nearly All Your Management Problems. Bruce is going to be telling us about tailing your conversations that solve workplace situations familiar with every manager today. Good morning, Shai. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Had a wonderful weekend. How about you? Yeah, it was pretty good. Got to tell you, I was talking to a friend of mine who's just been a stellar performer in the industry, happens to be in a sales marketing role. He's been doing great, really hitting numbers, and more importantly, having long-term clients that are just repeats, so it's really good for him, really growing well. He was just informed on Friday that he's going to be promoted on Monday, being today, that he's going to be in a management role for the organization, for that segment. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's just this, <laughs> you know, you know, congratulations, but... <laughs> <laughs> and does he, does he want this job? It's mixed. You know, it's a natural progression, and I'm sure he saw it on the horizon. But, you know, he's telling about how he's really hasn't had that many great managers to grow from. And he has no formal training in management. And so this is sort of that cold chill that comes in. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is the classic deal, right? The, your best salespeople, your best performers in sales, they get so much attention and so much positive attention in the organization because they're making it rain, right? They're the ones that are bringing the cash in. And so at some point, it seems inevitable that we want to reward them and promote them. They're the obvious one, right? They're performing well, so obviously they'd be a great manager too, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's what we tell ourselves. And then uh, all of a sudden you take your best producer, you put him in a role managing people, and all of those things that made him or her a wonderful producer on the sales side can be a real problem when they get into a management space, especially if there's been no leadership development there. I agree. It's terrifying to watch. I've seen this happen to other managers who have been promoted alongside and their peers or other managers. And so you want to help them out. But there's so many fundamentals that are missing. Where do you start and where do you find the time to be a mentor or to help someone else in a management role who's new to the environment? Well, I think it's really the responsibility, as always, of the leader, of the business owner, that if you identify someone you know, the, the other thing can happen is your best sales leader could come to you and say, I really want the opportunity to help grow this department and manage people, whether or not they've had that experience. They may have convinced themselves they want to do that, and maybe they really do. So I think it falls back on the business owner to clearly define what success is going to look like and help that person identify the areas where they will need to grow and get them the resources to do that. I agree. Looking back, I was fortunate in my career to be a part of a major corporation that had their own university. Before you actually became a manager, you had to go through a couple of the course levels and graduate from before you could be considered as a manager. So it was a very structured, large program. 
It had affiliations with Harvard executive program and so forth. And it was great. So it's, it's a huge market there for people that are becoming managers, but having no background gets kind of lonely. They may be a junior manager and having no real quality mentor around them or coach to work with. Maybe they are mirroring the owner themselves. And that owner may not have talent in management themselves. They may be a great entrepreneur, but people skills are not their forte at that time. Well, this is the classic entrepreneur story, right? They, the entrepreneur is typically someone who was a technician. They were really very, very good at something. And then they had an opportunity and they took that skill and that opportunity and created a business out of that. And so it's sort of the same thing all over again. Now the entrepreneur is trying to build an organization. They're trying to learn more about how to become a better leader. And that's why they listen to shows like this to try to crack this code. And they're studying, they're reading books, they're taking classes, they're doing what they can so they can grow. And now they are taking their best producers whether it's a technician, if you're in the tech business, another classic thing is you take your best engineer that you have and you make them in charge of the other engineers. And it can be demoralizing because the thing that they were great at, that they got so much satisfaction, all of a sudden they're not spending time on that. They're spending time trying to figure out how to get other people to do that thing. And that's just a completely different set of skills. Absolutely. And then you combine that with they don't have time. You know, They have so many things on their plate they're trying to do. And wouldn't it be great if there was one place you could go to get the answers that you need to manage when you need them? And our guest today has spent a lot of time in that area to address a number of solutions to some of the management problems that managers face on a day-to-day basis. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Our guest today is Bruce Talgan. He is the author of The 27 Challenges Managers Face. Step-by-step solutions to nearly all your management problems. Bruce is internationally recognized as a leading expert on young people in the workplace and one of the leading experts on leadership and management. Bruce is also a best-selling author. I count over 12 of his books on Amazon. He's an advisor to business leaders all over the world and a sought-after keynote speaker and management trainer. He is the founder of his company, Rainmaker, a six-degree black belt, and resides in New Haven, Connecticut. Good morning, Bruce. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Thank you so much for including me in the show. It's great to have you on the show today. Bruce, you've written so many excellent books over the years that really dive into the subjects that are at the heart of issues facing business owners and managers. What inspired you to write this particular book? Well, you know, we've been doing research on the front lines of the workplace for 23 years, and Hundreds of thousands of leaders and managers have participated in our research over the years. And one of the questions we ask people every single day is, what's the hardest thing for you about managing people? And over the years, the same challenges come up over and over and over again. So based on our research and the seminars we've done with leaders and managers over the years, I decided to put a book together and, you know, 90% of the responses to that question over the years uh, fall into 27 different categories. So when I told the publisher I wanted to do the 27 challenges managers face, you know, of course, they said, well, why 27? Couldn't it be like six? And <laughs> I said, well, you know, I, listen, I go with the research, but what I wanted to do is provide a book that 
would answer most of the questions most managers have most days when they're struggling with the challenges of managing people. Really like how you structured this book into chapters by grouping challenges that managers face. You've got sections on being a new manager, teaching self-management, managing performance, and many more. It looks like a go-to manager's manual. Can you tell us a bit about the design of the book? Well, when we look at the common denominators of most of the challenges, you know, when you look at what's going wrong for managers when things aren't going right, almost always what we found was that it had to do with low structure, low substance communication, that managers, they were trying to communicate, but they were not getting a lot of structure and substance into their dialogues with their people. So almost all of the problems come down to the fundamentals. And almost always when we looked at the best practices for solving these challenges, what we found was a rigorous application of the fundamentals, selling out expectations, tracking performance, providing guidance, direction, support, troubleshooting. You know, the fundamentals are all you need for most of the challenges managers face. So, That's why the first chapter of the book is the fundamentals are all you need. Sometimes people say to me, well, then, you know, how come there's the rest of the book? And I guess that's the details. That's the application. And so the rest of the book is structured in terms of, you know, not sort of the top challenge, you know, the most likely challenge, but rather, uh, as you say, in terms of the categories of challenge. So the first chapter is challenges facing new managers. The second chapter is teaching self-management skills, when what's really going on is your employees are not doing a good job managing themselves. Then the next chapter is about managing performance problems, which is, you know, how to get someone to speed up, how to get them to slow down, how to get them to go the extra mile. And then there's a whole chapter on attitude problems, uh, which I include in that conflicts between and among employees. You know, that's challenge number 15. Uh, When somebody's got personal problems at home, that's challenge number 16. And then we have the challenges of managing superstars. That's a whole chapter. And then the challenges of managing forces outside your control. I put that late in the book because those are the most frustrating, you know. (laughs) And then the last chapter is the challenges of management renewal. And it's either when you've got an employee who has really struggled and Is there a way to renew your management challenge with that person? But the last challenge, challenge 27, is when managers say to me, well, gee, you know, I've been doing this not that well for a long time, or, you know, I have a team and they're used to the way I'm managing. I guess I'm not very good at it, but this is the way we do it. How do you change? You know, how do you go back to your people and say, I'm going to try to be a better manager? And that's challenge 27. You know, when a manager decides he or she wants to really get better. And so that's the whole structure of the book. It's meant to be, you know, you can read it all the way through, but you also can put it on your shelf so that, you know, when you have an employee who has an attitude problem, you go to challenge 14. When you have an employee who you need to speed up, you go to challenge nine and so on like that. Bruce, in the book, you mentioned that managers are largely managing on autopilot. How does that show up in the workplace? Yeah, you really went right to the heart of the issue, right? Because so often people say to me, well, gee, you know, why don't managers 
follow the basics. And a lot of times they think they are. You know, managers say to me, look, I communicate with my people all the time. You know, I touch base with them every day. I tell them my door is always open. Let me know if you need me. I see them in team meetings or in cross-functional meetings where we're both at the meeting. I monitor email traffic all the time. You know, managers say to me, look, you know, how much more can I communicate with them? The problem is that those are the foremost common ways managers communicate with their direct reports. And we call that managing on autopilot because it's a lot of communication. It's just not very good communication. It's not structured. It's not substantive. It doesn't tell managers much. And it doesn't allow them to give people structured guidance, direction, support, and coaching and help people meet their needs and create accountability. So, you know, the most common thing managers do is they touch base. You know, how's everything going? Everything on track? Any problems I should know about? But those really make the manager feel like they're in touch. But those questions don't tell you much, and they're an invitation to wrap up the conversation quickly. You know, how's everything going? What I'm looking for there is fine. You know, any problems I should know about, what I'm looking for there is you'll take care of it. Yeah, Um, (laughs) they're on their way. (laughs) Exactly. And then it's like, you know, let me know if you need me. My door is always open. Well, what that leads to is what we call management by interruption. People interrupt each other all day long in the workplace. And, of course, you want to have an open-door policy. You want to be available to your people. But why invite people to communicate by interrupting each other incessantly? Why not create structure? You know, if there's an emergency, you should interrupt. If it makes sense, of course, some kind of informal dialogue is good in the workplace. You don't want to have a chill on informal dialogue. But there's just not enough structured communication. And as a result, people interrupt each other all day long unnecessarily. And it's inefficient, and it leads to very low substance communication. Because when people are being interrupted, they're in the middle of something. They say, just figure it out. I don't know. Do whatever you think should be done. Let me know how it goes. So those are the two most common ways managers interact with folks. Then it's, of course, meetings, which often, you know, that's not a good way to really provide individuals with guidance and direction. Emails, people are caught up in the tidal wave of email, so that's not a good way. This is what we call managing on autopilot, and what happens is problems hide below the radar. When you're managing on autopilot, you think everything's going fine, and problems hide below the radar, and then when they pop up, You know, everyone jumps into firefighting mode. And that's the other piece of management time. You know, managers tell us all the time they spend lots of their management time firefighting, problem solving. Well, how many of those problems could have been avoided? If you create structured communication, that's like fire prevention. And so most managers are caught in what we call this vicious cycle, you know, managing on autopilot, touching base, interrupting, meetings, emails, and then periodically uh, they get caught into firefighting mode. And this is a vicious cycle that's very hard to get out of. The way to get out of it is by committing to a regular diet of high structure, high substance communication, lots of fire prevention, guiding, directing, supporting, uh, looking around short corners, avoiding unnecessary problems. And that's what we work with our clients on, you know, is we try to help managers create a culture of structured communication. 
And the challenge for the business owner is that they set the standard for the whole organization. And a lot of times they've learned from their former career how to manage. And they're displaying a lot of the traits that you talk about, Bruce. We see this with a lot of our clients where they're creating this chaos and they don't realize that they're doing it. And worse yet, they're reflecting that leadership style to the rest of the organization. And another place that this shows up is this, you know, putting out these fires. Well, guess what? When you have a culture of firefighters, everyone's a hero. And so when you put that fire out, you're a hero, you get a cookie, and it reinforces that <laughs> that we live in a firehouse. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think there's a lot of truth in everything you're saying. And business leaders, you know, especially entrepreneurial business leaders, they might have a little bit of that spark in them where they like to be the hero. And they've always thrived on firefighting. And after all, firefighting is a very useful skill. And if the building's on fire, you want people who know how to put it out. But ask any firefighter, and they'll tell you that their number one job is fire prevention. You know, even professional firefighters, they're more in the business of fire prevention than firefighting because, remember Smokey the Bear? You know, it's a whole lot easier to prevent a forest fire than it is to put one out. Uh, (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Smokey had a point. You know, but I think you're right that people, you know, they're used to being the hero. And look, it's great. If there is a fire, you want heroes, but you're much better off preventing the fire because it's much more efficient. And once something's burned down, you have to salvage the wreckage and it takes a whole long time to get back to where you were supposed to be in the first place. So I think it has to start at the top. But I always tell managers, even if the leadership is not insisting on creating a culture, organization-wide, business-wide, of high-structure communication, any leader, any manager can make the decision for him or herself, you know, I'm going to be the one who's going to do this. At least I'm going to do this. You know, and if you're the only one, you're a maverick, but you're the maverick with higher productivity, higher quality, low turnover among high performers, high turnover among low performers. You're the one with the high performance team. It's like that teacher in school, you know, who was the better teacher and was really strict, but everyone, you know, maybe resented it a little bit, but that's the teacher you remember because you had to do your homework. You had to show up to class. You didn't want to miss class because you'd miss too much. And that's the teacher everyone remembers. I tell leaders, that should be you in the workplace, and it's going to be good for your career. It's going to be good for the business. It's going to be good for people who work for you. But to your point, when leaders at the top make the decision, hey, we're going to commit to a culture of strong leadership through structured communication, everybody's going to get in shape as a leader, everybody's going to take a walk every day, then that has a profound impact on a business. Bruce, in your research, why do you think we're so bad at training people to lead others? Why is this such a rampant problem in the workplace? Well, you know, people move into positions of supervisory responsibility and leadership because they're good at their job. They've showed a commitment to the business and maybe to the profession. They've shown some responsibility and that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Sometimes they're in charge of more and more work, so we need to give them people to help them get that work done. Often we teach them how to do a little extra paperwork but nobody teaches them how to do the people work. And I think it's a lack of recognition. It's like somehow folks think that, well, you know, how you lead, that's just a matter of style. And all styles, hey, everyone's got their own style. But no, there's evidence and there's 
best practices, and there's proof that uh, not all styles are equally valid, that high-structure, high-substance communication works a whole lot better. Clear expectations work better than unclear expectations. Tracking performance works better than not tracking performance. Solving small problems is better than waiting until they become big problems. You know, rewarding high performers makes sense. So I think when you look at organizations that get this right, it's not that it's so hard to train. I think when organizations make a commitment to training managers, it makes a huge difference. I always use the military as an example. You know, the military has a a great secret, which is they also teach everyone how to follow Right, So that makes it much easier for the leaders when first thing we do is teach everyone how to follow. And nobody teaches people how to follow anymore. Some organizations do. The military is great at it. Uh, one of the reasons they have such a great culture of leadership is first they teach everyone how to follow. Then they don't put anyone in charge of anyone without teaching them how to practice the fundamentals of leadership. I don't think you can teach someone to light the fire in someone else's belly. You know, you can't teach someone to be a capital L leader. There's very few people that have that natural leader gene. But I think that we can teach people to practice the fundamentals of management, of of structured communication. And, you know, even if they're not natural leaders, they can get really good at it. And if you teach followers how to follow and you teach leaders how to practice the basics and you create a culture in which that's the expectation... I think it works great, but it doesn't happen automatically. It only happens if you commit significant resources to that kind of training and if you hold people accountable. Bruce, one of the challenges you write about is around the employee who needs an increase in productivity. What manager hasn't had that situation, right? How do you address that one, for example? Well, you know, productivity and quality are intention. So sometimes people work slowly because they're so afraid of, of making a mistake. But, you know, you have to have ways to drive output per labor unit within reasonable quality standards. Productivity means output per labor unit. And the way you speed people up is you have to do an old-fashioned time-motion analysis. You have to figure out how long does it take to do each component of the task? And you have to look and make sure that the best practice is in place, that they're not unnecessary pitfalls, that the employee knows how to follow the proper sequence of concrete actions, the techniques to get the job done. But your best bet for speeding somebody up is to figure out a reasonable quota and figure out the right process, make sure there are no obstacles in their way, make sure they know how to do it properly, and then you need to create conditions in which they can keep moving and not slow down. You know, I think there are a lot of techniques for doing this, and how this works for an accountant may be very different from how it works for somebody manufacturing widgets or somebody working behind the counter in a retail store. It may be very different than somebody who's making sandwiches in the kitchen. But any task, responsibility, or project, you know, it's Frederick Taylor. It's the earliest industrial science. It's time-motion analysis and then creating systems to help people get more work done faster, basically. I mean, productivity is all about speed. And the one thing you have to be careful about is making sure that when you drive productivity, you don't undermine quality because that's often the trade-off. 
Bruce, what changes, if anything, are needed when you're addressing management challenges with remote employees? Well, you know, when you're managing people who are not in the same location or sometimes not even in the same time zone, the biggest pitfall is slipping into management by touching base, management by interruption, management by email monitoring. And what we recommend for those who are remotely located is try really hard to create that regular structured dialogue. The only caveat is that you're using tools of remote communication. So you can communicate effectively by telephone and email. You just have to make sure that you don't slip into the unstructured communication because when you have these kinds of logistical hurdles, it's when people are most likely to slip into those unstructured bad habits of communication. Bruce, you have a number of leaders in industry commenting on your book. Are there any stories that they have shared with you around their success in applying the processes you're talking about? Yeah, I hear stories from leaders on the front lines every single day whom we've trained in these fundamentals of structured communication. And we hear from leaders all the time who, you know, look, sometimes they go back to the workplace and they walk in and they're like, all right, there's a new sheriff in town. See, here's how it's going to be. I'm going to take charge. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to spell out expectations and, and you better be ready because I'm going to track performance. It's, I always tell managers, don't do that. Go back and say, good news, I'm going to try to be a better manager. And here's what that's going to look like. I'm going to schedule regular conversation with every single person. You know, I want you to help me. I want to make sure expectations are clear. I want to start keeping score, not just when people are losing, but when people are winning. Let's start talking about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Let me try to help you avoid unnecessary problems. Let me try to help you solve problems before they get out of control. Let me help you plan. If you've got a project, let's go over the plan. If you've got a recurring task or responsibility, let's make sure you've got good standard operating procedures. And I was with a group a couple days ago of leaders in restaurant companies, many of which we've worked with in the past and trained managers. Just on Monday, I was in Seattle at at a restaurant conference, and I had probably a dozen People come up to me and tell me, oh, you know, I've been using the high structure, high substance communication, the commitment to one-on-ones, and there's one success story after another. And there's stories of retaining high performers, and there are also stories of scaring off low performers. There's stories of turning young high potentials into new leaders. There's stories of helping somebody who couldn't be... For whatever reason, you know, an employee who just couldn't get to work on time, I had somebody tell me the story just the other day of, you know, I actually taught that employee how to get to work on time. Now, you think, well, gee, that's such a small thing. It's such a basic thing. But how many managers are so frustrated because they have somebody who can't get to work on time? And when you can use something like structured dialogue, to teach an employee how to be to work on time. It sounds like such a simple thing, but, you know, that's an important thing, and that's something that that employee might always look back and remember, hey, you're the manager who taught me how to get to work on time. And they've seen their career continue to grow from there. 
I mean, I have managers tell me every day about, you know, teaching people how to problem solve, uh, teaching people how to get good at customer service. To me, these things, while they may not sound as exciting, teaching someone how to be really good at making a sales call, maybe that's not exciting to some people. To me, that's exciting because that's what most people do for a living. What most people do for a living, it's not so exciting. If you clean bedpans in a nursing home, that is important work. And when you've got a good manager who helps you do that better and faster with a better attitude, that's good for the patients you're taking care of. It's good for the institution. And it's how people learn and grow and make more of their careers over time. Bruce, this has been such a great show today, and we really appreciate your time. I just want to know, for our business owners listening right now, what is like one or two things that they could do right now, that they could implement right now to improve their interactions and how they manage people in their workplace? Yeah, I tell people, number one, set aside time every day, say an hour a day, for structured one-on-ones with your direct reports, and set aside an hour a day, concentrate on three or four people a day, prepare in advance a follow a regular format with each person, focus on top priorities, and have good conversations with people. It's what needs to be done, what are the next steps. That's what you need to do. Set aside an hour a day and build a custom dialogue with every person and prepare and teach the people you're interacting with to prepare. That's the first thing you got to do is set aside that time. It's just like taking a walk every day. Yeah, that's great advice and a really good place to start. Thank you for joining us today, Bruce. Uh, We really enjoyed our time with you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, if they go to our website is rainmakerthinking.com, you know, there's a bunch of free content there. And we have a very simple two-page handout we usually include with our seminars, which is the fundamentals of highly engaged management. So that's a great resource for people. That's great, Bruce. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks to both of you. Our guest today has been Bruce Talgren, founder of Rainmaker Thinking and author of The 27 Challenges Managers Face, Step-by-Step Solutions to Nearly All Your Management Problems. You can learn more about Bruce and the episode along with links and capture a free download to two handouts, one on highly engaged management and another on high structure, high substance communication, all at our website at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business. Business.